0: You are now listening Listening. to the Half a Bird Sports Show.
1: Welcome to the Half-A-Bird Sports Show. You could have been doing anything else in the world, but you chose to ride with us, and we appreciate that. It's solo weekend, so I will take the wheel myself to navigate you through the sports landscape of the hottest topics, late-breaking news, things that make no sense, and a few things that might surprise you. As always, you can catch us on WMQG Radio Tuesdays and Saturdays at noon Eastern. So today, I will discuss the Cowboys and the Eagles play to see who wins the NFC East. I bet they tied. the game, nobody wins. We call them the NFC Lease. Giannis may not get too far, even though we all know the boy is a beast. The Ravens head to Cleveland for revenge. All Lamar needs is one little crease. Frozen 5 week 16 will help you make that holiday cheese. And it's good to have y'all in today. Half a bird sports show solo weekends. Giving you the latest and greatest in sports and sports news. Um, you know, I believe that having to overcome the odds shows you who you really are. In order for me to understand just what you're made of, I don't want to see you when the chips are up and everything is going as planned. I want to see you when the chips are down and there's nothing but chaos around you. Case in point, Dak Prescott, you know, as crazy as this NFL season has been and as much has happened, when you take a look at it in its totality in terms of the Dallas Cowboys season and in particular Dak Prescott, he's dealt with a lot this season, even going back to the offseason this year. So you look at the offseason first and foremost – Zeke the Zeke contract something that hung over the franchise it was a distraction something that he constantly had to answer questions about as the player face of the team will say so he dealt with that then on top of that after Zeke got his money he had to deal with his own contract dispute and honestly that's what it was he had one number The organization had another number and to this day they haven't been able to find a number that's satisfactory for both with many believing that he wants to be the highest paid quarterback in football. So he's been dealing with that as yet still unsigned. And then you go to the season on the field, a very up-and-down season, as most easily evident by their 7-7 and record. So they start out winning three games in a row, then they start losing. Then they win one, then they lose one, back and forth, back and forth, up and down, just like this franchise always is up and down in every phase of it, in every level of the organization from top to bottom. Then on top of that, you have Jason Garrett, who every week for the past two months has been on the verge of getting fired. Because this team, based on the roster and the talent level, has not been performing up to the standards of the fans, of casual non-Cowboys NFL fans, and obviously of the organization who had Super Bowl aspirations for this season. And though they still hold out hope for that, everybody knows if they're not going to the Super Bowl. They're not. As a matter of fact, I didn't even pick them to go to the playoffs. And now that particular pred- prediction is looking possibly likely based upon what happens this weekend we'll get more into the game uh versus philly later on so you have that he's been dealing with the jason garrett stuff the last two weeks and now his body is starting to break down, as many players' bodies do start to break down towards the end of the season. Right now he's nursing a hairline fracture of his right index finger. And if you watch the game last week, Dak threw a whole lot less. As a matter of fact, I think he threw 23 games than he really had been this season. It was a very Zeke and Tony Pollard-oriented offense. And initially, especially when we talked about this on the show on Tuesday, I thought, okay, that's because they're trying this formula instead, making Dak more of a game manager and running the offense through the running backs. But the reason why they probably had to do that was because Dak was not going to be able to grip the ball and throw the way that he wants to, the way that he normally does. So it made sense in order to run the offense through the running backs instead of having Dak throwing 40 to 45 times as they have in games earlier this season, mostly losses after that first three games against cupcake defenses. So you have that. And then on top of that, now this week, he's nursing a sprained AC joint in his right shoulder and as much as these teams like to downplay injuries this could actually be a slight tear or a partial dislocation we know he suffered this injury in the first quarter of the last game against the rams so he's dealing with that now he's not even throwing the ball now he may not throw the ball at all they say he's going to practice very very little up until game time this sunday against the philadelphia eagles in philadelphia so he's dealing with all that and then on top of all that what happens They released the Pro Bowl selections this year, which is usually a topic of discussion because you're going to want to see, especially if you have a favorite team, you know how many of our guys made the Pro Bowl, how many guys made the Pro Bowl around the league, which team has the most Pro Bowl selections. This year it's the Ravens with 12, which is an ungodly number of Pro Bowl selections. But then the Pro Bowl selections come out, and whose name is left off the list of quarterbacks in the NFC? None None other than Dak Prescott. Russell Wilson is on there. Aaron Rodgers is on there. (laughs) Drew Brees is on there, rightfully so, all three of them, all very good quarterbacks, but Dak Prescott was snubbed by the Pro Bowl. And it's really hard to understand how this happened. I understand Russell Wilson, Joystick Wilson, being on the Pro Bowl team. I understand Drew Brees, especially off of that record-breaking performance several times over on Monday Night Football. I understand that. But taking Aaron Rodgers this season over Dak Prescott is pure blasphemy. This is completely and utterly wrong because Dak Prescott this year is number two in passing yards, which is better than Aaron Rodgers. As a matter of fact, most of the season, he has led the NFL in passing yards up until Jameis Winston this last two weeks who has totaled 900 passing yards. Outside of that, he's leading the league in passing yards. 65% completion percentage, which is very good. And he's number three in QBR. So when you look at Aaron Rodgers, he's 11th in passing yards. He's only got... um, 24 touchdown passes, Dak has 26, and Aaron Rodgers is coming in with 63.3 completion percentage. Now, I know that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are 11-3, and 3, Dak's team is 7-7. and 7. I understand all that, but just based on the position, not bringing in the other factors as far as the teams and the records, playoff positioning and so forth, how did he not get in ahead of Aaron Rodgers. So what this shows me is that there is very little respect amongst the fans and amongst the players, coaches, whoever else have votes that matter in the Pro Bowl. There's very little respect for Dak Prescott because, as a matter of fact, when you look at Dak as the face of a team, basically you you are the team. You represent the team. So how people assess you, tends to be how they assess that team. So this little respect that is shown for Dak by not giving him the Pro Bowl selection that he deserves is showing little respect for the Dallas Cowboys franchise, how little respect people actually have. And, you know, another fun stat that (laughs) that I just happened to find as I was looking up Dak Prescott's stats is if you combine the interceptions of Lamar Jackson, Russell Wilson, and Jimmy Garoppolo, the total is 22 Jameis Winston has 24 all by himself and 30 touchdown passes to go along with it. So Jameis Winston may be the first quarterback in my lifetime to have over 30 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions in the same season. I don't even think Brett Favre did that, who would throw the ball in any window, no matter how tight it was. So that's just something funny that I found that you might find comedic as well. But either way... This game coming up against Philadelphia, it's, it's about more than the division. It's about more than the playoffs because we know they're not going to win in the playoffs even if they make it. Whichever team makes it, this is about the little respect that is shown for him. And now what's going to happen is that his own organization is going to use this Pro Bowl snub against him when it comes to contract negotiations. Because what Jerry and Stephen Jones have to say is, okay, you want thirty-eight to $40 million a year. You want Russell Wilson and Aaron Rodgers' money. But they made the Pro Bowl this season, and for for whatever reason, you did not. So why should we pay you more than them when you couldn't even beat them out for the Pro Bowl? Now, Dak is going to go to the Pro Bowl because whatever Pro Bowl quarterback goes to the finals, he's going to replace them as a Pro Bowl alternate. That's what happens. The team that goes to the, the final game, the Super Bowl, uh, their players don't play in the Pro Bowl because it's played in the week before the Super Bowl. So they're getting prepared for the Super Bowl, in case you didn't know that. So he's going to go to the Pro Bowl one way or the other. But the fact that he was not selected shows a tremendous amount of disrespect. So if he takes all of that and takes everything that's happened to him this season and he can't find a way to win this game, then all he does is further the argument that he is not a great quarterback and that the Dallas Cowboys should not pay him the type of money that he's wanting. All right, so last week, Jay was talking about The problem that the NBA has when it comes to ratings and part of what he said is that there aren't really any villains in the NBA It's just a collection of heroes in a sense they all get along many of them all want to play together and there's no team to hate there's no Golden State Warriors with the super team when nobody else has one to hate. You know, there's no MJ Bulls. There's no Shaq and Kobe Lakers working working on a three-peat. There's nothing like that. There's no obvious team to hate. There's no Detroit Pistons bad boys. So he says that that's the problem in terms of lessening the intrigue in the cinematic quality of the NBA, which is why we truly watch the sport anyway, because when you think about it, basketball is a pretty dumb game. You throw a ball in a hoop, that's it. You go down, you do it again, you do it again, and you do it again. It's about the theater. It's about the the characters. It's about basically shaping a movie around every NBA season and every NBA game. And that's the problem. In order to do that, you have to have conflict. And in order to have the proper conflict, you have to have villains. So, in order to help this discussion out in terms of what the NBA can do to increase its chances, I've come up with a list of five worthy villains in the NBA. Now, to be a worthy villain, you have to be at least a really good player on a really good team. You have to matter. You can't be a villain if you're on the Orlando Magic. Why? Because your team gets pounded all the time. So, to me, the top five most worthy villains in the NBA from five to one are number five, LeBron James. Why? Because half of the NBA fans already hate his guts anyway, just like Tom Brady, for whatever reason. He gets hated for every single thing he does. Nothing LeBron does ever good, is ever good enough. He's become the best point guard in basketball, and all people can talk about is Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, and Giannis Antetokounmpo and James Harden's gaudy scoring stats. People downgrade everything that LeBron James does. His three rings aren't good enough. What he's done for the NBA as far as really being the one whose word moves mountains in the NBA with the commissioner, he gets no credit for that. He gets no credit for anything. So to me, he's a worthy villain coming in at number five. Number four, Kyrie Irving. Because Kyrie, as great of a basketball player as he is, causes problems literally wherever he goes. Because he's moody, he's high maintenance, he's hard to please, he irks his teammates. And he's weird in a kind of just uncomfortable way. You know, anybody who believes the earth is still flat and just weird crap like that, I mean, that's interesting, but that's just plain weird. It'd be weird to sit down and just think that you're about to have a normal conversation with a guy like that because you're not. So he's a bit of a weirdo in kind of a bad way. So I think he comes in at number four. Number three, Joel Embiid. Now, he's fun to fans, and fans do love him because he's very active on Twitter. He's very funny, and he brings a particular kind of energy to the games in how he trolls everyone. But that's the problem, or that's part of what makes him a villain is because he trolls everyone. So players hate him, and because of that, he's often involved in fights or near fights, shoving matches, and criticism. So from a player standpoint, I think that if enough of them continue to go at him, kind of in a Blake Griffin type fashion, then he's a worthy villain to be the villain in the NBA. So he comes in at number three. Number two, Kawhi Leonard, Mr. Load Management himself, which Kawhi Leonard's brand of load Management basically is code for I don't care about the fans. I don't care how much money you spent to – Drive across several states and find lodging and get expensive tickets in order to come see me play because I'm not playing. I don't care about any of you who came to see me play or who want to see me play on the road, especially. And this was the same Kawhi Leonard who drug out free agency because he couldn't decide where he wanted to go longer than really any free agent I've seen. And he stole. A specific player from a team is one thing to go to your organization and say, I want you to give me better players so we can be more competitive so we can win more. I need help. But it's another thing to target a specific player by saying to an organization, go get him and then I'll play for you. That's unprecedented now at the same time. I guess LeBron kind of did the same thing with Anthony Davis, which is, again, a reason why LeBron James is on this list, because he got killed for that. I crush him for that. And I'm a LeBron fan. But for that reason, I think Kawhi Leonard, because this Clippers team is going to be really good over the next two to three years. He's a worthy villain at number two and number one, a familiar foe and someone who you all may have forgotten because they haven't played this season, and that is Kevin Durant. And for this reason, I miss him because he did transform himself into a very good villain in the NBA. Now, obviously, those were shoes that were uncomfortable for him to wear because that's not his makeup. That's not who he is, and that's why he said and did so many strange things because he's not a villain. But upon his return, here's what's going to happen. I think that when he and Kyrie start playing together, they're going to piss each other off fairly quickly, especially if Kyrie Irving is too ball dominant for Kevin Durant's taste. So this will cause him to become a worse version of Warrior Durant because he'll be back home on the East Coast, a place that's known for where people are known for being rude, very off the cuff, not caring how you think or how you feel. And what he's going to have to do to cover himself because there are going to be so many bad media sound clips is he's going to have to get an extra burner account in order to defend himself that will be discovered just like the one when he was with the Warriors and then that would just infuriate people even more so I can't wait for Kevin Durant to come back next season because I really do think he can fulfill that role of being not the villain that the NBA fans deserve but the villain that the NBA fans truly need all right you know transitioning on to the Cowboys um, you know you don't get to be the most highly valued franchise in sports with a 4.2 billion dollar valuation which goes up according to the forbes basically every year without having so many different things to talk about as it pertains to your franchise Um, i ran across a story about three weeks ago on yahoo sports uh, and it was a rumor sometimes they will post rumors on yahoo sports and you know how that is for every 10 rumors only about one and a half of them are actually true. But this one I found kind of interesting because there's a certain piece of logic to it. And that involves the star wide receiver for the Cowboys, Amari Cooper, who, if you'll recall, they got in a trade from the Raiders last season that completely turned their season around because the the Cowboys, before they got Amari Cooper last season, they were headed for a lottery pick. They were terrible. They were one and five and he completely turned that season around. I think they finished seven and one with him. And he had instant chemistry with Dak Prescott. So in this story, On Yahoo Sports, and you can look it up for yourself, it says that Amari Cooper likely won't return to the Cowboys next season. And they say that because the Cowboys aren't going to be able to pay a top five, top three contract at their position to Amari Cooper and to Dak Prescott while having already paid Zeke Elliott an obscene amount of money, having paid their offensive line, having paid their best pass rusher, Demarcus Lawrence, having paid what I guess they perceive to be their best linebacker, Jalen Smith, and potentially even paying Byron Jones, their best player in the secondary, or they may let him walk. But either way, there's only so much money that can be printed. There's The salary cap can only go so high. So what they're saying is that in order to compensate for that, They're going to have to pay Dak Prescott his money sometime in the offseason, and they're going to have to let Amari Cooper go, or they're going to have to pay Amari Cooper and franchise Dak Prescott, which basically shifts the problem in terms of how to pay Dak from this season or this offseason to the next. Either way, it's still going to be there because you have all those players that you've already paid, like Zeke Elliott, under contract. So... Basically, what this article is saying is that they're going to have to let Amari Cooper walk. Now, I know that sounds bad, and I know that keeps Cowboys fans up at night or will hearing me say that because they don't want that. They know that Amari Cooper is a very good wide receiver and that he opens things up for everybody else, for the other receivers, for Zeke Elliott, who doesn't have to face eight in a box because Amari Cooper, who is a very good receiver, very good route runner, very good hands, is out there on the field. But I think that letting Amari Cooper go is exactly what the Cowboys need to do. Because as we've seen year in and year out, you can go deep in the playoffs and you can win Super Bowls without star receivers. Now, I say star for Amari because he's not a diva and I don't like divas. You all know that if you listen to the show. He's not that at all. And for that reason, I totally respect and I really like Amari Cooper. But I think that they can win without him because here's what you do. Let's say you pay Dak Prescott $38 million per year over five, six years. He gets the money that he wants. You have to pay all these other people. You're paying them right now. So you let Amari Cooper go. You promote Michael Gallup, who's your current number two receiver right now, and honestly a bit more athletic than Amari Cooper. You take Gallup, make him the number one wide receiver, and then you draft one to two receivers, which is basically uh, you know it's cheap labor, cheap talent, and develop them. And one of those guys will pop to become your number two. You keep Tavon Austin and Randall Cobb, work them in the slot, and figure out how to do it better because Cobb has been getting his touches, but Tavon Austin, who's a blazer, has not been getting his. So you figure out how to work them into the offense better. And then you still utilize the Zeke formula where on first and second down you're giving it to Zeke or you're giving it to Tony Pollard, and therefore you make Prescott more of a game manager. He'll still throw, but he'd be more of a game manager instead of a gunslinger. And, I mean, this season – the, the, the draft is going to be loaded with wide receivers, and it will be for probably the foreseeable future because, I mean, with these systems that they have in college and with how many receivers you have to have in order to keep up with teams in college, they're developing wide receivers so much better than they were before because in today's modern uh, college game and in today's modern NBA uh, NFL, you have three and four wide receiver sets routinely as opposed to two wide receiver sets so you have to have more receivers at each level who know how to play the position and play it well so there's going to be plenty of offensive wide receiver talent out there i mean just look at the bucks for instance you have mike evans who was a highly touted wide receiver coming out of texas a&m but then you have chris godwin who's also a pro bowler this year nobody knows where he went to college you have brashad perryman who had a really good game in the absence of Godwin and Evans on this Buccaneers team. Nobody knows where he went to college. You can find these guys everywhere. You know, big programs, mid majors, division two, you can find them and develop them. So you don't have to overpay for a star wide receiver or a diva wide receiver. So neither should the Cowboys. Now, obviously knowing them, they're going to figure out a way, to pay both Amari and Dak because they fear life without having Amari Cooper. And I understand that, but I think that there is a way for them to be successful without paying him, but we know that they will. Okay, so we do this every week. Frozen Five, the five best picks in the NFL. We're coming off of a four-in-one week Jay with his best week of the season brought us back to respectability and prominence. So I look to do the exact same thing this week, week 16 in the NFL, as we come to a close. So this will be my last frozen five of the season. So I look to go out with a bang. So without further ado, here is this week's frozen five week 16 NFL. (laughs) Up first, We have the Giants at Washington. Washington is a minus two-and-a-half point favorite, and I'm going to take Washington minus a a two-and-a-half. They played much better and much harder since the team let go of Jay Gruden and replaced him with Bill Callahan. And week by week, if you haven't noticed, rookie quarterback Dwayne Haskins is getting better, and therefore Terry McLaren, their future star-wide receiver, is also getting better. So I know you have two bad teams, but in a game like this, you take the better coach. You take the better quarterback right now. You take the better offense, and if you can, you take the home team. So I get all of that with Washington. And one of the reasons why I don't fear the Giants' defense, well, one of the reasons I guess why I do fear the Giants' defense is because they have Janoris Jenkins, who is one of the premier cornerbacks in football. Oh, wait, they waived him. They don't have Janoris Jenkins. So I think that the Redskins can run and throw all over this Giants offense. They still have the great Saquon Barkley, so they'll be respectable. But either way, I think that in sort of a low-scoring game, Washington is going to cover this spread by a score of 21-15. to Up next, we have the Lions at the Broncos. The Broncos are a minus-7-point favorite. And I'm going to take the Broncos to cover the seven. I don't usually don't like swallowing that many points, but in this case, I will because Denver is four and two at home versus the spread, and they've actually covered six of their last eight. And this Lions team, they have totally quit on Matt, Pat- Matt Patricia. They are one and nine in their last 10 games, and they have lost seven in a row. They're on their third quarterback, they're injured at running back. And they don't play good defense, which is supposed to be Matt Patricia's specialty. So I like Denver, who's at home, who does all of those things better. They run the ball and they play better defense with first-year head coach Vic Fangio. And I know people are down on – Denver because they lost 23-3 in Kansas City but throw that game out because it was on the road in a snowstorm so most teams can't perform the way they want to under those conditions and I think that Detroit really is going to tank because they're just a few losses away from competing for that number two pick in a very rich offensive draft so I think that their motivation is very very low so I think the Broncos are going to win this game 26-14 to and cover the seven. Up next we have the Saints at the Titans. The Saints are a minus three point favorite And I'm going to take the Titans plus the three points at home. The Titans have covered six of their last eight, which gives me confidence in this pick. And you all know I love patterns. And anytime I see this pattern, I always bet it because I usually win more than I lose. So look at the Saints, the last seven games versus the spread. They covered. They didn't. They covered. They didn't. They covered. They didn't. And they covered against the Colts which means against the Titans, they won't cover. So the Titans at home, I think, are going to control time of possession with Derrick Henry, who comes alive towards the end of the season, and he has, and a good defense that I think can put some pressure on Drew Brees. Um, And they have a good overall receiving core, too. Guys you don't know, like A.J. Henry and Corey Davis and John Smith, but they have them. And you take Ryan Tannehill, who just got a fresh contract extension, who is playing the best football of his career. It looks like a completely different quarterback than he did in Miami. So the Saints, yes, they're going to win this game because they're trying to get that number one seed, 27 to 26. But the Titans are going to cover the plus three. Up next, probably the game of the week for the NFC East division. We have the Cowboys at the Eagles. The Cowboys are a minus two-and-a-half point favorite. And, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take the Eagles plus the two-and-a-half at home. I like the Eagles because they play well under pressure. They've proven that. They have a Super Bowl within the last three years. And I think that Dak Prescott is more beat up than his organization is letting on. So I think that they're going to try that Zeke formula again just like they did against the Rams. But I think that Philly has a good defensive line. And that's one of their healthier units, actually. And I think that they will help to somewhat neutralize Zeke from one running, running wild over him like he did against the Rams. So if you take away that Rams game, as a matter of fact, why should I trust Dallas? Why should any of us trust the type of football that Dallas is playing? I don't. And I think that Vegas is baiting you. They're baiting you by giving the Cowboys minus two and a half. And don't fall for the bait. Don't fall for the trap. This is a game for the division and generally in this kind of game you take the points but with philadelphia at home with the better coach with um jason garrett coaching for his job who probably would not be retained in the offseason you take him i think Wentz is the healthier quarterback and generally i think he is the better quarterback than dak prescott and Wentz usually plays well against dallas so i know philly the odds are stacked against him but philly loves that way that's that's philly culture that's rocky winning when the odds are stacked against you, winning when you face a bully. So the Eagles in the upset are going to win this game 23-20 and easily cover the plus 2.5. Last game, let's go to Monday Night Football. We have the Packers at the Vikings. The Vikings are a minus 5.5 point favorite. And I'm going to take the Vikings minus the 5.5 because this, too, is a trap game because people see Aaron Rodgers and the Packers getting 5.5 against Kirk Cousins. And they're easily going to jump on that, but that's that's exactly what Vegas wants you to do. Don't do it because in a divisional game with both teams fighting for it, again, it's going to be somewhat close. Usually you take the points, but the Vikings, yes, they're going to be without Dalvin Cook. But this is Kirk Cousins. Yes, he's in a night game, but he's at home in a dome. And what I think is going to win the game for the Vikings is that ferocious defensive line, which to me has the best pass rusher in football, Daniel Hunter, is going to get after Aaron Rodgers all game long because they typically do just that. And you look at this Vikings offense, they're actually better at the receiver position than the Packers collectively and they're much better on defense this is a top five defense they haven't always played like it this season but they have as of late so I think that they're going to neutralize Aaron Jones and Devontae Adams who will have decent games but it won't be enough to overcome the pressure that's going to be put on Aaron Rodgers by that Minnesota Vikings defensive line so the Vikings are going to win this game in order to solidify their place in the division and the playoffs 27 to 20 covering that minus five and a half and trust me it's five and a half for a reason So to recap, we're going to take Washington minus two and a half. We're going to take the Broncos minus seven. We're going to take the Titans plus three. We're going to take the Eagles plus two and a half. And we're going to take the Vikings minus five and a half. And as always, uh, be looking out for the OSG report as well. Um, This is the report that we issue on our Twitter account and on our Facebook page and our website page for all of those who want the latest and greatest in fantasy football advice for season long, for um, for weekly fantasy as far as DraftKings, FanDuel, etc. And that is our resident expert, the OSG, who gives us the best players, the best analysis in terms of being able to make money here and now through fantasy. So pay attention to that report. Jump on that as soon as you can. We always do. And trust me, we make good money doing it. All right, so to end the show, let's, as we like to do, take a trip around the NBA, first and foremost starting in Los Angeles with the Lakers, which because they're the Lakers, just kind of like the Cowboys or the Yankees, there's always a story to talk about as it pertains to this team. Uh, and as I'm watching them play the Milwaukee Bucks right now, if my eyes aren't deceiving me, the Lakers are down 48-65 to in Milwaukee. So they're having a tough time. We'll see what they do in the second half. But this week... Uh, LeBron was asked a question about load management and he has been before in terms of what his thoughts and opinions are or how he approaches it as a player and as a star himself that people love to see play. And basically he said that if he's healthy, he's going to play. He doesn't understand not playing if he is healthy, which is obviously a veiled shot at Mr. Load Management and Mr. Franchise Load Management themselves, Kawhi Leonard and the LA Clippers. So Doc Rivers was asked to respond to what LeBron said in terms of his thoughts on load management and basically being against it if a player is healthy. And one of the funnier things Doc said was that um, you know the Lakers' approach is basically whatever LeBron James says it is, which is basically to say that he kind of runs the franchise. And in some respects, he does. But it's funny because Doc is being a little bit of a hypocrite since he and Steve Ballmer, the owner for the Clippers, have basically given every single thing that Kawhi Leonard wants. And duh, and they do everything that Kawhi Leonard wants them to do. So... He can't talk about LeBron running the franchise if we all know that Kawhi Leonard kind of runs their franchise. I mean, he got a top 15 player on the team just because he wanted him, Paul George, same as LeBron. So Doc ought to think about that. But at the same time, we were talking about villains earlier. What LeBron's trying to do is he's trying to villainize the Clippers. Just like I talked about with Kawhi Leonard. I think he's perfect for the villain role because what LeBron is basically saying is that Kawhi Leonard and the Clippers fans, they don't care about your money. They don't care about you wanting to see them play. They don't care about anybody at all but themselves. I, LeBron, I care about you. I play. When I can get out there, even if I'm nicked up, even if I probably should sit because I'm 34, 35 years old, I play. I'm the hero. I'm the good guy. Kawhi and that other L.A. team, they're the bad guys. That's exactly what he's wanting to do, and honestly, I hope it works. All right, moving on from L.A., let's take a flight to Springfield, Massachusetts, the home of the Basketball Hall of Fame. As it was announced today, the list of Hall of Fame finalists for the 2020 Basketball Hall of Fame. And headlining this list is Kobe Bryant, the the black mama himself, Tim Duncan, Mr. Fundamental, best at his position ever, and Kevin Garnett, one of the most popular players ever, probably the second or third best at the power forward position, and Chris Bosh. Let me... Let me run that back just so you heard me correctly. Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, and Chris Bosh. Those are your headliners. Now, what stands out, obviously, is Chris Bosh. Because we know that Kobe's the first ballot Hall of Famer, as is Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. But Chris Bosh, let's, let's, look, at his, let's look at his profile. The profile of his career as an NBA player. So we know he won those two titles in Miami with LeBron and D-Wade. He's an 11-time All-Star, which is fantastic. But he's a career... points per game, 8.5 rebounds, and 49% field goal average and 79% from the free throw line. So he's got very good career stats. I understand all that. But, I mean, I guess he deserves to go into the Hall of Fame, yes, because the Basketball Hall of Fame – is easier to get into because it's taken less serious than, say, the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame or the NFL Hall of Fame. As a matter of fact, the NBA doesn't care about the Hall of Fame so much that the NBA doesn't even have its own Hall of Fame. Because think of what I just said, the Basketball Hall of Fame. So the great players and coaches – In college and in the NBA Go into the exact same Hall of Fame They don't have a separate Hall of Fame So the NBA doesn't really care about the Hall of Fame So a lot of players can get in Who probably don't deserve to If they were really strict about what constitutes greatness So I think that Chris Bosh deserves to get in But he does not deserve To get in with this group of three With Kobe, the Big Fundamental And KG In no way should he ever be mentioned Matter of fact, this is probably the first time he's ever been mentioned With those other three players So no, He does not deserve to go in with them. That would be a travesty. As a matter of fact, I won't watch the program if he goes in with them. He can go next year or the year after that. Make him wait, like you make Chris Webber wait, which he kind of deserves to because I don't think he was a great player at all. Just like I don't think Chris Bosh was a great player. So one of these days on one of these shows, I'm going to take a look at what should constitute greatness as it pertains to being allowed entry into the NBA Hall of Fame. But either way, I know Chris Bosh does not deserve to be there. Okay, All right, I'm going to give you one more. I'm going to give you one more. I was going to end the flight there and bring you back home, but no, I'm actually going to take you to Milwaukee, Wisconsin, for our last stop on the, on the NBA tour. Um, we're in Milwaukee because uh, I looked at an article earlier today. It was a headline for an article, actually, actually, that talked about do the Bucks, as in Giannis Antetokounmpo, do they need another star beside him? So if you're familiar with the Bucs, you know that they just paid Chris Middleton, who essentially is the Robin to Giannis's Batman, uh, in the offseason. And this season, Chris Middleton is averaging a respectable 18 points, 40% from three. Um, He's not a good rebounder or a good passer, um, but he's a good, solid player. But when you look around the modern NBA, now that we're back to sort of the duo era, I don't know how long we're going to be here before we're back in a big three or a super team era. But when you look at the other Robins out there in the league, something sort of stands out to me. So think about this. Look at this. These are all the other Robins on various NBA teams in the league. Anthony Davis, Paul George, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving, Klay Thompson. Uh, last year you had Kyle Lowry, who proved to be a very worthy Robin to Kawhi Leonard's Batman in the playoffs. He was clutch. Um, so you have Kristaps Porzingis, Russell Westbrook. You have all these guys and what they have in common and what makes what makes them very, very good Robins outside of being all stars is that. They can do two things. They can change the game. They do change the game just by being in the game, and they can take over a game when they need to. All of those players can do that in their own various ways based upon their skill sets. Chris Middleton, he doesn't do that. He doesn't really change the game as a spot-up shooter, in my opinion, and I've never really seen him take over a game at all. So if Giannis doesn't win the championship, if he doesn't come out of the East, nonetheless, this this would be the reason why. You know, and this is where it really gets interesting. So if he doesn't come out of the East, it'll be the reason why. Because he's facing teams that have better Robins or better third options than he has. And Giannis, who's averaging, what, 30 points, 12 rebounds, nearly six assists, the reigning MVP, probably could potentially compete for another MVP trophy this season. He's not going to get far because of what he has alongside him. And the problem is he's going to take the fall for all that. Because as a star player, as a face of the franchise, when you don't go as far as people think you can, then the top guy takes the fall, just like the top guy takes the majority of the credit. And then if that happens, understanding that he's going into unrestricted free agency this offseason, will he stay with the Bucks? Or will he go somewhere else to another franchise that can get him a better Robin? Because that's been the death of multiple franchises over the last five to seven years who couldn't get a worthy number two or number three option to a bona fide superstar, which is what Giannis is. So in that sense, if they don't get that form, you know, as much as he talked about being one of the guys, one of the few guys in today's era who's going to stay right where he is, who wants to build something special with the team that drafted him instead of bolting to a team with another superstar with other superstars and sort of taking the easier way out we'll see if he sticks to that if he doesn't like the performance of his team and if he gets upset enough with the fact that chris middleton is not a worthy robin Okay, so I appreciate you listening to the Half a Bird Sports Show. I tried to give you the show in under 30 minutes or less, but as you can see, that didn't happen. So I might have to up my standards to 35 minutes or less, which I probably still haven't done since I'm at minute 36. But either way, I appreciate you listening. So to Mike, Bob, Wendy, and the production team, we appreciate you. Uh, To Miss Jackson, one of our newer subscribers Thank you for listening to the show, supporting the show To Florence Nightingale, to my nephew Tarod, to all of Jay's people To everybody who holds us down, who offers us uh, feedback And your interesting perspectives on the topics that we cover on the show And the topics that we don't cover on the show We appreciate you listening So we look to be back early next week uh, after uh, week 16 in the NFL um, so a lot of things will be solidified going into the final week of the season. So we'll discuss that. We'll get more into the college football playoffs as well. And the latest and greatest in NBA and NBA sports news. So on behalf of everyone who has anything to do with the Half a Bird Sports Show, we appreciate you listening. Love yourself. Love somebody. Be safe out there. Peace.